This is Scott Becker with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. Uh, I'm absolutely thrilled today to be joined by Jody Lash. Jody's the Chief Transformation Officer at probably the most transformative health system in the country, Kaiser Permanente. So what a pleasure to get to visit with Jody today. Jody, can you take a moment, talk about yourself, talk about the role of Chief Transformation Officer, and then we'll talk about a bunch of subjects. Okay. Well, Scott, it's so great to be here. It's really um, a pleasure to get to speak with you. So I am, um, as you said, Kaiser Permanente's Chief Transformation Officer. I work for our CEO, Greg Adams. Um, I've been in the role for about three years. Um, and in that role, I do a number of things. I lead the program um, delivery system strategy. So looking at um, how we're providing care, facility design, capital planning. And I also run a design studio that's focused primarily on care delivery and business model um, innovation. Um, and just a, just a little bit about Kaiser Permanente, because I think it helps understand a bit about the scale of the role. Uh, so Kaiser Permanente, um, we operate in nine states across the United States. We insure um, little, almost about 12 and a half million members, uh, $90 billion a year in annual revenue. So it's a very large um, health system. Um, we're unique in that we are a nonprofit tax-exempt organization, so we spend a little under $4 billion a year um, on average on what we call community benefit spend, um, charity care, investing in community organizations. Uh, we've made um, investments in affordable housing, a whole range of things. So it's a, it's a unique um, mission-driven organization that exists to not only provide care to our members and ensure the quality and affordability of that care, but also to improve the health and the well-being of the communities in which we serve. So it's a it's a really um, it's an environment that's really rich, uh, rich and ripe for innovation, both um, kind of from its care delivery model and also its prepaid integrated financial model, which makes it very very unique. So that's uh, that's just a little bit about. Um, the role and um, a little bit about Kaiser Permanente. Thank you so much. And Kaiser Permanente is really an amazing organization. And, and I've watched over the last 20, 25 years, not just become big in a large insurance company and a large integrated health system, but it also had this huge improvement in quality over the last 20, 25 years. It, it, you went, if you went back a time in history, 25 years plus ago, it was hard for Kaiser to recruit the best doctors, the best and brightest, and there was, there was a, a change. There was a transition period of time where all of a sudden the best and brightest coming out of USC, the Keck School, and other places started to go to Kaiser. Talk a little bit about that evolution in quality under the late Bernard Tyson, under Greg Adams, and under the entire leadership of Kaiser. And I will take a moment to say, I didn't realize it was up to $90 billion a year in revenues. It makes it almost three times as large as Common Spirit, probably the largest you know, not-for-profit faith-based health system in the country, the 90 billions, that, that's, that's remarkable, the size it's grown into. But, but talk about yeah, that, it, that, it, that sort of, yeah. that quality, that quality transition over the years, the transformation of both, not just becoming big and large and value-based care, which is way ahead of the rest of the universe, but that transition towards quality, because it really is a market difference now versus 25, 30 years ago. And it's amazing that transformation, quite frankly. No, it is. And it was a very intentional um, transformation. You know, it's interesting when I came to Kaiser Permanente about 18 years ago, um, in, from a quality side, it was a very different organization, as you said. And actually, interestingly enough, 
I worked for Kaiser Permanente for two years in 1988. So I have a really interesting, uh, long view of how Kaiser Permanente has changed. Um, I had worked as an analyst uh, right out of undergraduate and then obviously went on to do a number of things and then came back. And this was a really concerted effort um, to um, look at quality, really use our data um, to understand where we were on the quality front and, and to look at that journey and to be able to measure it and, and adjust and to innovate. Um, and you know, one of the one of the really big investments that Kaiser Permanente made, and it really was a pretty courageous investment, was when George Halverson, who had been a prior CEO, had invested in our electronic medical record. And it's interesting to go back and look at that business case. And and you know, there were a lot of things in there around you know retirement of legacy systems and um, and things around efficiency. But really, what George thought at the time was that it would provide the data that would allow us to do continuous quality improvement. And I think probably the most important thing that's come out of that EMR was about a $5 billion investment in its time was that. Um, that's allowed us to be able to look at the impact of new programs, new innovations. It's, uh, we have a very robust research um, arm of the organization. I'm not sure everyone knows that. Um, so that data is integral to that research, which lets us focus on evidence-based care um, there was a considerable amount of work done on attracting the best and the brightest physicians um, and giving them the environment in which the top professionals would want to work. So it's been a, it's been a really um, interesting, intentional, um, and sort of continuously evolving journey. It's interesting, though, that journey does not end, though. Um, one of the things that we've been looking a lot at is health equity, because one of the things that, and I think you know, obviously you've probably heard this, the pandemic really highlighted something that we had always known was that there were considerable health disparities. And even though Kaiser Permanente has won a tremendous number of you know, awards and accolades and Medicare Five Star and all that for its quality program, we actually took a pretty courageous look at our own data around health disparities and found that there were some differences across racial groups, around economic you know, uh, groups of people that could not really be explained. And that's kind of this next horizon um, of quality and the pursuit of quality at Kaiser Permanente that I'm really, really excited about. And COVID, as I said, I mean, has really shined a very bright light on those disparities. I mean, when we look at things like death rates for the black and African-American community being two times that of whites or Hispanics being even more than that, two and a half times whites. We, we really do have to um, acknowledge that we are not done on this journey and there's a lot more to do. And one of the greatest areas of focus for me is on numerous aspects of health equity um, in my role. And so fascinating. And talk for a moment about the well, let me ask you a different question for a moment. Are, are you more a Cal Berkeley beer or UCLA Bruin at this point in time? I'm really more of a UCLA Bruin, which I know most people don't say that um, about their graduate school. But I was born and raised in Los Angeles, so I've uh, my brother went to UCLA, and so I've I've kind of had more ties to UCLA than Berkeley, but. <laughs> 
No, fair enough. I'll you take went it back to Berkeley, the right? No, no, no. But what am what am I? Um, no, I did not. But one of my uh, best best friends from law school was a Berkeley graduate, and all he talks about is Berkeley. Now he's got a son going to Berkeley, and him and his wife. That's all they talk about is their son going to Berkeley. They've got another one who's at UW Madison, and they love that as well. But it's it's been it's been fun to watch, quite frankly. But he's a huge UCAL <laughs> fan. Well, none and, of and my UC- children. None of my children followed in my footsteps anyway, so I don't know. Which is, which is all fantastic. But the, the UC college system is the is really the best in the country at what it does in terms of the yeah. University of California Absolutely. higher education. It, it really is. It's, it's, it's by a far degree, and, it, and it's become harder and harder for everybody to get into, whether in California or out of California. Is, they've done a magnificent job in the higher education compared to almost every other state. It's really remarkable. I couldn't agree more. Different question. Chief Transformation Officer, and this is this is not a trick question. How was the role of Chief Transformation Officer, which is all about transformation? How is that role changing? How is that role transforming? How do you look at that role differently? I mean, you mentioned already the focus on health equity, which really wasn't, you know, core to the role of a Chief Transformation Officer, you know, 10, 20 years ago. So that's one big part of the change. How else is that role changing? And then in a moment, I want to bring you back to the subject because a lot of people don't realize the history of Kaiser. And how it got started, because there's lessons in that today as well. But but how is the role of yeah. Chief Transformation Officer changing, and how do you look at that? You know, it's it's a really interesting question. It's something I think a lot about because when I went into this role that was actually created by our then CEO Bernard Tyson, I was warned by a lot of people that the longevity in this role was pretty short, and that many organizations had tried this, it had not worked well. I had obviously been at the organization a long time leading up to this. So, you know, there was some some trepidation going into the role, and it's something Bernard and I talked a lot about. So well, one of the things I've noticed, because I'm part of a group um, of other people in chief innovation or chief transformation roles um, across the United States, and one of the things that I think is is the first thing I would say is there's very little uniformity in that role across companies. It's really different. I mean, some organizations focus a lot on things like commercialization or creation of intellectual property, or maybe they're focused on new medical technology. My role is really focused on the transformation of our delivery system. Um, It's really about creating value for the organization and not kind of the creation of individual value. So it's focused on how can we grow more? How can we be more affordable? How can we improve the member experience? How can we um, improve quality. It's really about defining um, and designing a modern care delivery system that incorporates things like new technologies or new facility design or new service experience. Um, and it's also about social innovation, um, which I think is something very, very unique to Kaiser Permanente because of our tax exemption, our nonprofit status. So things like I've worked on things around food insecurity or economic equity. These are unusual, I think. So one of the things that I would say is that the role has evolved. Um, I think there have been some very um, tremendous changes in the three years that I've been in this role, the first of which was the unexpected death of our CEO, Bernard Tyson, who had created the role for me. So it's really hard not to talk about how the role has evolved without thinking about and recognizing the impact that his death had. And, and, um, and, and then, of course, one, the pandemic. Take, take one moment there. Take one moment sure. there. Because yeah. for those that didn't have the great gift of getting a chance to visit with Bernard Tyson, 
they really <laughs> missed a larger than life character who was just an amazingly compassionate and brilliant person. Take one moment, as long as you brought him up. Take 30 seconds on Bernard. Take as long as you want, quite frankly. Yeah. What a remarkable leader he was. And, and what a remarkable person. You know, I have, I have to tell you just a little story. So Bernard and I, um, Bernard died on a Saturday night. Um, and Bernard and I were in New York on Wednesday at the Fast Company Innovation Festival. And for those who don't know it, I mean, this is one of the, the most exciting places to share innovation. Um, is at this festival. So we were both very excited. We were both speaking and Bernard was being interviewed and I was sitting in the, in the front row. And if anybody's ever heard Bernard being interviewed and I, if you haven't, I hope people will take the opportunity. It, it never got old. I mean, it was always, you always learned something and you were always incredibly moved. And the one thing I, I would say about, about the, the chief transformation officer role is that it really does reflect the values and the goals and the vision of the leader that you're working for. And Bernard's vision was to make the entire country a new place. It wasn't just to make the company a different place. It was really to change healthcare in America. And to one of Bernard's things that he loved to say was that when he talked about housing and homelessness, and he talked about how that was such an important part of addressing healthcare, he would always say that the streets of America should not be the place that anybody calls home. And those were the kind of things that Bernard would say. Those were the kind of those moments where you just get shivers up your spine. So being able to work for Bernard, for him to create this role um, and ask me to be in it, and I did not interview for this role, so I was asked to be in this role by him. I mean, it was really a once in a lifetime um, opportunity for me. He was a an amazing person. He connected with people in ways that I've never seen. I used to, every time I would leave his office, it felt like there was some young person waiting there to to talk with him, often a young African-American man or woman who he was going to be a mentor to. I mean, he was just, just absolutely remarkable human being um, who I think had an indelible impact on our company um, on healthcare and on this nation, um, and I, I don't think I'm overstating it when I say that. No, it's a real, it, it really is a remarkable, remarkable leader. And and how it, it really just a, I mean, I had a chance to share the stage with him a few times, and truly remarkable privilege in every single way, a hundred percent. Talk about for a second how Kaiser was formed originally, uh, because as in it, maybe it's less after than it was a couple of years ago. When J.P. Morgan, Berkshire Hathaway, and and Amazon were all about building their own health clinics and stuff like that, and Apple sort of played around with it. But talk a little bit about Kaiser's original founding and why it's so important to the value-based model. Well, the, the founding, I mean, the organization was, you know, was when Henry Kaiser was, you know, working in the steel mills and and um, building the aqueducts, and it was really around how would they keep their workers safe and healthy. I mean, that was really, and, and then this prepaid model came up, which, which the one thing about the prepaid model was that it moved away from the, uh, um, the incentives uh, around fee-for-service medicine. And one of those was a disincentive basically to provide preventive care. And, and so Kaiser Permanente is founding on the notion of keeping these workers safe and also on this notion of prepayment. Embedded in that was also the commitment to uh, care for um, the preventive needs and to keep, you know, to keep people healthy. And that was very, very unique in its time. 
and it's continued to be really the guiding principle of the organization. Um, and also this, this, again, this commitment to not only keeping our members healthy, but also improving the health of our communities. Um, and now we've really looked at that and it's allowed us to say, well, what makes for a healthy community? What makes for a healthy individual? And a large part of that is looking at the social and economic and environmental conditions of the community. So we've increasingly moved from purely kind of grant making to support you know, organizations to actually looking at what we call the shared value model, which is how do we look at finding the intersection between what's good for our business, but also good for our communities. And that intersection has unleashed an incredible amount of innovation. Um, just as an example, I'll give you one example. So in overseeing our building program, uh, we were looking at building um, a medical office building in a, a very disadvantaged part of Los Angeles. So one of the things I came to Bernard about, it was interesting at the time, was why don't we look at our, our construction program as a way to bring people who have been left behind in the workforce, who are who have been sort of disenfranchised, people who had been previously incarcerated, and help them get into the business, uh, the building trades, and be apprentices on the construction of our $90 million medical office building in, in this area called Baldwin Hills Crenshaw in Los Angeles. And we did that. Um, and all those people, the recidivism has been zero. Um, all those people not only built our facility, have gone on to build the Ram Stadium and a whole host of other projects at LAX and including other projects for Kaiser Permanente. So we've been trying to, to use the shared value model to unleash these ideas um, around economic equity, around environmental sustainability. Bernard had made a commitment that we'd be carbon neutral by 2020. He made that commitment and I think around 2015, and we achieved that. So those are, um, those are the things that are just really unique to Kaiser Permanente. Our model allows us um, to do those kind of things because we don't have the incentives of a fee-for-service model. We have this philosophy around prevention. We have a mission around community health. So it's just a, it's a very, very unique organization, um, and it's very ripe for kind of, I will say, loosely social innovation. And, and, and talk about this for a second, because one of the things that I saw was a direct result of the Kaiser model was before it became the pandemic, before it became everything to be virtual care, Kaiser prior to the pandemic was already 50, 60 percent of their visits were through virtual, remote or telephonic care. Talk a little bit about why that was and why Kaiser was just literally a, a, a decade ahead of the rest of the industry in that. How did that happen? You know, it's, it's interesting. I mean, I think the organization um, has always um, had people who have championed innovation and particularly around um, innovation around technology. And I would say our physicians themselves are very kind of innovation inclined. Um, it, it's a good... It's a good environment also for physicians. And a lot of, you know, a lot of physicians have, uh, you know, incredibly bright, seeing all the challenges in the front line and are quite innovative. Um, and, and so we had already been moving in this direction. I think there was also, I think, a very early understanding, although we're going to now triple down on this, um, that um, access has always been something we measure. It's always been something that we look at. 
um, very, very carefully. And one of the things I think we realized that there were some pretty significant access barriers for people, whether it be transportation or being able to take time off work. I mean, we estimate that a normal visit could take, you know, two, two and a half hours out of somebody's day. So I think telehealth really came up and virtual care through that lens of improving access and um, and also all of these things were constantly being studied to understand their effectiveness. We did some, some research during the pandemic asking people to what degree was their problem solved. Um, for example, like uh, being able to have a phone visit and it was somewhere upwards of 65, 70%. So I don't think we think that's good enough. We're gonna continue to work on improving that experience. So we were already, uh, we were already as you said, well on the way. Now the pandemic, really accelerated it. And I think one of the challenges we're having now is what is the true steady state? Um, that's one thing we're looking at and how do we improve that experience um, for people? We're looking at um, you know, virtual urgent care now and really increasing those capabilities because that didn't really go virtual that much during the pandemic. And then, and then the last thing we're looking at just sort of get back to our original conversation around health disparities is really looking at this issue of what we call digital equity um, or the digital divide. You know, are we making sure, are we doing this in a way where we don't actually create a larger gap, a larger disparity? Because we could. And so we're actually initiating under Greg Adams, our new CEO's leadership, a whole initiative around digital equity and understanding what that is and making sure that we don't, that we close whatever gaps exist. We don't exacerbate the gaps that already exist by moving more to a digital first system. Fantastic. Um, and, and, and just one more question, Jody. When you look at this year, I mean, there, there, there's so much that you have on your plate as Chief Transformation Officer. What are you most excited about? I mean, when you get up in the morning, you say, this is where I'm focused this year. This is what I'm after. What are you most focused and excited about this year? I mean, I think there's two things that I would say. Um, Unfortunately, we're still very, very focused on the vaccine um, and understanding why there is continued um, lack of confidence or, or vaccine hesitancy, as people say. I, this is still, a, just a, I mean, you've seen the numbers in the last couple of weeks where we're seeing doubling of hospitalizations, we're seeing deaths up again. Um, we're talking, we're hearing things like herd immunity might be 90% vaccinated, you know, so we, we're, we're still really, really focused on that. And one of the things I'm excited about is we had done um, a study actually under some work I was doing under Gavin Newsom um, in the California COVID testing task force, looking at um, what are the underpinnings of vaccinating uh, resistance or hesitancy and looking at what we call the movable middle and whether or not there were people that, you know, we could, um, we could, change, you know, behaviors and influence behaviors. And we did this uh, very, very deep um, sort of digital diary study where we really got into deeply understanding things like, you know, what are people's belief systems and how has politics factored in and what influences people, you know, and how does social networks influence people and how does, how does the way in which we message influence people. And through that qualitative research, you know, we're trying different, different methods of reaching people and sort of moving people towards willingness. What I'm most excited about that work is that the sort of 
you know, like nirvana of, of healthcare would be, how do we understand how to help people make better sort of health-seeking um, decisions? Um, how do we, you know, how do we get people to, to eat better, to sleep better, to manage stress? So how do we truly influence behavior? And so the vaccine study and how we're trying these different, different ways and using that research um, around different ways of communicating and different messaging strategies and uh, different service experience um, that we could, you know, instead of these mass back sites, how do we create different types of service experience is really, to me, then extensible to other health-seeking behavior. And I'm, I'm really, really, really excited about that because to me, that's an area that's really um, ripe for innovation and no one's quite, quite figured it out yet. Um, the other area that we're focusing a lot on and we, um, and we, we think is a huge um, transformation opportunity is improving um, and increasing how we provide care in people's homes. Um, so we, I know you may have seen that Kaiser Permanente recently invested in a company out of Boston called Medically Home. Um, and I was part of that, uh, that project and that is a hospital at home company. So I'm excited about how do we build uh, new care models like hospital at home and also how do we build the infrastructure to better provide care in the home. Um, so we've also been working on a project here to build some of that infrastructure around patient engagement how do we build um, applications for mobility so that our care team can better provide care in the home, uh, extending remote patient monitoring in the home, things like that. So I'm, I'm very, very excited about that too. I think that's something the pandemic has taught us that people want and that we can do safely and we can do in a much more um, significant way with, a, I think, a strong return on that investment. Fantastic. Jody, what a pleasure to speak with you today. What an amazing career at Kaiser Permanente. I learned a lot today. I did not realize it was up to 90 billion. Maybe I should have known that. That just is overwhelming. But but also what I've watched and probably far more important than that is I've watched the elevation of quality of Kaiser the last 20 plus years. And it's been remarkable to watch the difference in what it is today versus what it was 20, 30 years ago is really, truly remarkable. Thank you for taking the time to visit with us today on the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. What a pleasure to visit with you. And I won't tell the Berkeley alums that you're more of a Bruin <laughs> fan today. Well, thank you. It's been such a pleasure talking with you.